The United Kingdom will ship ground-based air defense system to Ukraine. The Chinese Communist Party helps Russia to spread rhetoric of U.S. aiding Ukraine to develop bioweapons. Facing huge pressure to open up U.S. oil drilling, Biden administration hold on tight. Pentagon rejected Poland's wish to transfer flighter jets. World-renowned soccer star quit the job of representing Huawei, the Chinese company, after it aided Russia during the war. In today's feature interview, an Ukrainian-American shared with us his family's story. Welcome to Wei and the Kathy Show. I'm your host, Wei Fang. I'm Kathy Zhang. Okay, so the Russian-Ukrainian uh, Ukrainian war has entered the 15th day. And the U.S. and NATO have said their forces will not engage with the Russian military in Ukraine and has instead targeted the Kremlin through severe sanctions and provided Kyiv with the defensive aid. So far, the United States and the UK have provided more than $1.4 billion in security assistance, including through surface-to-air missile defense system like uh, the Javelin Stinger and uh, Manpad missiles, which are shoulder-fired uh, anti-aircraft weapons. Now these two nations uh, have grown bolder in both action and the words on the war. And the UK announced today that it would send a ground-based air defense system, this is more than shoulder-based, to Ukraine to help counter the slurry of the missiles Russia has levied at Ukraine. And the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, told reporters from a joint press conference after meeting with the UK Foreign Secretary Elizabeth Truss. He said, uh, I'm absolutely convinced that uh, Putin will fail and uh, Russia will suffer a strategic defeat no matter what short-term uh, tactical gains they may make in Ukraine. And he said, uh, you can win a battle, but uh, that doesn't mean you can win the war. And Blinken continued saying that uh, you can take a city, but you cannot take the hearts and minds of its people. Right. So let's talk about another major matter of today. The White House on Wednesday actually warned that Russia could use chemical or biochemical weapons in Ukraine or could create a false flag operation using them after the Kremlin accused the U.S. of being involved in biological weapon research at Ukrainian labs. The director of the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs Information and the Press Department said that in the course of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Russia confirmed that Ukrainian leadership was quickly trying to clean up any trace of military and biological programs that Ukraine was conducting with financial backing from the United States. Russia has also claimed that Ukraine allegedly destroyed samples of various pathogens. The Ukrainian government denied the allegation, and a senior U.S. defense official called the claims laughable and said that they are part of the Russian disinformation campaign. 
And uh, two days ago, Chinese government officials started to talk about 26 biological labs that the U.S. helped set up in the Ukraine, but uh, they were very murky about the source of their information. U.S. officials took note of the concurrent uh, messages unleashed by Russia and the uh, Chinese government. The White House Press Secretary uh, Jen Psaki said on Wednesday that uh, Quote, this is an obvious ploy by Russia to try to justify its further premeditated, unprovoked, and unjustified attack on Ukraine. And uh, Saki also warned, now that Russia has made these false claims and China has seemingly endorsed this propaganda, we shall all be on the lookout for Russia to possibly use chemical and biological weapons in Ukraine. In the United States Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs, Victoria Newland said on Tuesday that uh, if there is any biological or chemical attack in Ukraine, uh, she said, there's no doubt in my mind that it would be carried out by Russia. And that is, uh, quote, classic Russian technique to blame on the other guy what they planning they are planning to do themselves, end quote. Gas prices uh, keep rising and um, now keep breaking record every day. In the U.S., the gas price actually rose for about $1 before the run-up to the Ukrainian war and 80 cents since the invasion of the Ukraine. The apparent solution would be to unleash the oil production industry in the U.S. And why has not happened? So White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki uh, today said that uh, what additional permits do they need? The lease are there, the permits are there, and she said, I don't think they need an embroidered invitation to drill. Embroidered. Embroidered. Embroidered invitation to drill. And uh, she said they are oil companies. And Asaki was talking about uh, 9,000 uh, permits that has been reissued. And uh, she said uh, the oil company should make full use of it. However, the cost of financing actually new oil sites has dramatically risen um, since the Biden administration moved into the White House. And uh, lastly, uh, Samaraj, and he's the, I'm sorry, uh, he, he's the president at the investment advisory firm called the Green Century Capital Management. He said in last April that, uh, quote, uh, getting lenders to choke off money to fossil fuel companies is the next needed move for the industry to address the material risks that the coal, oil, and the gas industry faces. And facing the harsh restriction policy of Biden administrations and uh, the tremendous amount of uncertainty in the future of oil and the gas, investors are becoming increasingly re reserved about making long-term investment. So what is the consequence? Bloomberg reported in November 2021 that uh, 10 years ago, the cost of capital for developing oil and gas as uh, compared to renewable projects was uh, pretty much the same, falling consistently between 8% and 10%. Now the cost of capital is reportedly 20% for long cycle developments. Well, which means if you want to obtain a loan or find a private financing to develop a 10-year project, you have to pay 20% uh, interest. The high cost effectively stopped oil drillers from obtaining the new funds to start the drilling. 
And uh, last year, Biden administration also ended the overseas financing of the new oil and the coal projects through multilateral development banks such as the World Bank, so as to shift global capital away from fossil fuels. On a separate thread, the White House National Economic Economic Council Director Brian Dees today addressed the notion of uh, increasing the use of domestic energy to stem the rising gas prices. Regarding the calls for increasing domestic oil production, Dees said that uh, what we are trying to underscore is that the short-term production comes back based on facilities in the rigs that were in process previously or are close to production. Yeah, which uh, pretty much means that uh, the current license that was uh, already re- um, issued. And in those cases, and there's no constraint, and um, this said, there's no federal constraint to bring that production back online. And that's why we are, quote, that's why we are seeing that production coming, coming, coming back. So what is the general strategy going forward for the White House? Dee said, uh, quote, the medium and the long term, he thinks the path and the trajectory is clear. There is no amount of domestic production that we can do when we are dealing with a volatile global commodity where the price is set globally. There is no amount of domestic production we can do to reduce or eliminate our vulnerability as a country to that volatility." End quote. And he continued saying that uh, the only way to do that is to reduce the energy intensity of the economic uh, economy overall which means shifting to cleaner sources of energy, end quote. Yeah, that's a lot of words from uh, Mr. Dees. Uh, but if we paraphrase this, um, on the other side, there's diff- different opinions says that if U.S. just increase uh, its oil production by 3 million barrels a day, uh, the inflation issue and the gas price would be being solved. But the Mr. Mr. Dees pretty much said that the only way is to switch into cleaner source of energy. So basically, the current administration stayed with its own um, energy policy. On yet another threat, the White House has indicated no intention to return the license that it, that it revoked, revoked um, uh, to the Keystone XL pipeline that it ran through Alberta, Alberta province of Canada through the Midwest U.S., to the refinery in Texas. And uh, so today, when asked by reporters, uh, the White House uh, Press Secretary Jen Psaki said, there is no plans for that, and it would not address any of the problems we are having currently, close quote. Mm. And oil experts, uh, analysts said that by the first three phase of the Keystone XL pipeline would provide 700,000 barrels a day. Um, to the U.S. Um, while the oil embargo of the Russian oil um, stopped uh, the import of uh, 600,000 barrels a day. And on Wednesday, when President Biden was asked by a reporter what he, could, what he can do about the gas price hike, he said, uh, quote, cannot do much right now. Russia, Russia is responsible. White, the White House also created a hashtag called the uh, the pound sign, Putin price hike, blaming the Russian president for the gas hike in the U.S. 
All right, so then that's uh, briefly talk about. So, so basically, that's the current situation. I hope that by gleaning all the responses and the question and answer, which is on the top of, uh, I won't say every American, but almost every American on the gas price and how our government would react to that. I think you got the answer. If you have any thought, just type up your 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 your, your thought, your comment there. Okay, let's briefly talk about the uh, fighter jet, the Su-29 fighter jet uh, transfer that Poland wished to do it. And uh, Poland pretty much the, well, afraid of uh, offending Russia and, uh, and getting the retribution. And uh, Poland shipped those uh, fighter jets to a, to a German airbase and, uh, and asked the, the airbase to ship that to the American so that the, the U.S. would send those uh, fighter jets to Ukraine. But the uh, Pentagon today said uh, that's not uh, tenable. That's not tenable. But uh, talking about the, the details, the Pentagon gave two reasons. One is the logistics, and the second is um, this would uh, re escalate, escalate the situation with uh, Russia. So basically, yeah, the uh, fighter jet is there, and uh, Poland is afraid of giving them, them to the Ukraine directly, and the uh, U.S. doesn't want to do that either. So what's your comment? This is an interesting scenario. I, I saw a two, two, uh, the, the interviews of two generals, U.S. generals on this matter, both said, what the, what's the difference between fighter jet and the javelin um, missiles? The same thing. So just, just be bold and give them to them. Give the weapon to uh, the, the, the jet, uh, fighter jet to the Ukraine. But now it seems that the who, giving, who would give that become a big issue. Do you believe that's a difficulty? What do you think? Or think this is an easy decision? I really want to know that your comment there. All right. Okay, as you type that up, let's move on to the next piece of news, which has to do with the CCP and China. Mm -hmm. So uh, the renowned uh, Poland soccer star Robert Lewandowski cut his ties with uh, Huawei, which is the, you know, the uh, giant... Um, Telecom company. telecom company in China, mm -hmm. and uh, it is because it's reported that uh, the Chinese technology company is helping Russia following uh, Putin's invasion of uh, Ukraine. So um, there are reports in China saying that uh, the tech giant Huawei has been helping Russia with the cyber attack. And the report also saying that Huawei plans to train 50,000 technical experts in Russia at five research centers in Russia. And it plans to expand cooperation to cloud computing, establish video surveillance and the face recognition systems and other artificial intelligence fields. So the, those reports in China from China actually were deleted, uh, you know, after a while. But uh, the uh, Poland striker uh, has been a vocal critical of Putin's invasion of Ukraine and announced that uh, they will stop, he will stop representing um, Huawei. So that's basically what happened a couple of days ago. Uh, but uh, the interesting thing is uh, it is because it's reported that uh, the Chinese uh, tech giant was helping Russia. That's being the, probably the key uh, reason for the Poland uh, soccer star to cut the tie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So basically, CCP is in a very awkward situation. But in their mind, this is just my, my put my commentator, commentator's head, okay? 
in their mind, they're completely, they're completely for Russia. Okay, they view Russia as their ally. They view Russia as a vehicle against, a tool against the U.S. and the and the, and the West. So they they undoubtedly they align with uh, Russia, but they don't want to do too much, to well to trigger the uh, sanction against uh, Chinese companies. That's what they are concerned about. The second, they don't want to completely break the relationship with uh, Europe and uh, the U.S. So that in that kind of situation, a little bit of concern about Ukraine, which which was, you know, China's close ally, you know, for the years before this war. So they are playing these two sides, but in their mind, it's very clear they are on the Russia side, and uh, in other way, Russia is on their side. Yeah, you know what? I just uh, watched a little bit of uh, the CGTN mm -hmm. report. CGTN, uh, you know, uh, they are state-owned media, right? Yeah, it's English uh, TV in the U.S. In the U.S., and uh, they are trying to say that oh, you know, some of the uh, U.S. media try to portray the CCP is together with uh, Putin and the Russia, but uh, they said, uh, oh, you know, uh, China's position has always been clear. But when they explain how clear it is, yeah. it's basically just so vague. Mm -hmm. You know, they're saying, saying that uh, they feel deeply concerned, yeah. Yeah, saddened about the situation, but they respect uh, any country's, uh, you know, rights to keep their solvency. Like, which which side you are supporting, right? They are not saying that. Uh, my other observation is actually regarding um, Lewandowski's uh, announcement of uh, quitting his role as a regional ambassador for uh, for Huawei in Poland. It's um, I think people would be puzzled. You know, it it took it took it takes it takes the invasion to Ukraine by mm -hmm. Russia mm -hmm. for him to decide quitting uh, representing Huawei. Mm -hmm. you know, what about uh, things happening in China, right? And uh, the how Huawei was reportedly really just uh, being uh, uh, espionage mm -hmm. everywhere, including United States, including in the Europe and everywhere. But that doesn't, didn't really take him to consider, you know, not serving the role. But anyhow, right now, he made this correct decision, which I think a lot of people would agree. But uh, it's just, um, I think, for a lot of people who regard, who has the realization of the uh, most threatened uh, regime is CCP instead of uh, Putin, mm -hmm. to just ponder why. Yeah, let me just give you a little insight here, okay? So this, this Huawei, this reaction to the Huawei action and the, uh, the, the other things, including the parliament members of the UK criticized uh, English, uh, uh, British, UK government harshly today, saying that you are still allow Huawei to exist in this country, in the UK, while Huawei did so much to aid, uh, to aid the, the Putin, uh, Putin regime. Actually, how do people know that uh, Huawei is aiding with... Uh, um, with the Russia, okay, it just came, <laughs> it came through accidentally, all right. Because when when the you know the hacker group in the West was attacking the Russia network, and uh, they, they they don't hold, okay, there's a lot of problems. So they call for aid from China, from CCP, and the CCP passed that to Huawei. Huawei immediately saying that we that we rush to aid you, okay. So they they. they they went to Russia and tried to establish like a mobile uh, broadband system, and also want to, you know, plan to train fifty thousand Russians to be the network expert. 
Yeah, okay. it, it was reported on the Chinese website. We have the pictures actually. If our DJ can uh, post it, yeah. you know the the Chinese reports on the on its websites. But uh, later on, it, you know the article got deleted. Yeah, basically some you know just eager uh, Chinese government-owned media published that. It's basically showing off like, see, Huawei is doing the great things for the party, uh, but the party then discovered, oh boy. When this, new, when this news leaked out, we're gonna get a lot of uh, you know, backlash. So the party ordered those media to take those articles right away. But snapshot has been taken, has been spreading. So now the entire world know about that. This is the insider story behind that. They okay. could have done this really just in the stealth manner. And then they can send their whatever, dozens or hundreds of uh, network experts go to Russia and pop up the Russian network without the Western knowing anything about that. <laughs> Those stupid reporters, they were too eager, okay? Yeah, they are, it's, it's always happens with the, the communist regime is, uh, you know, their system, sometimes the, the communication channel is not yeah. that well, con, you know, established. So. Also, the party have so many lines for the reporters to walk. They just don't know <laughs> which lines, what, what is the line today? What is the line tomorrow? So this kind of thing always happens, all right? So basically, they cannot cover everything. They, they can do, all, you know, all that they did, they can do all the bad things, but they cannot guarantee that we can cover everything. All right. Yeah, and on the side note, that's why you really need a bilingual journalist like us <laughs> yep. to, a, to be able to um, notice that and uh, investigate that. But I haven't sa said that, okay. So this Huawei is just one example that leaked, right? There can be many other, you know, things that happened that was not, you know, have not leaked. Basically, Chinese government is helping Russia possibly multiple ways many ways without the West knowing that. Mm -hmm. yeah, there's no surprise if another case pop up. Anyway, that's the nature of the regime, okay? They are, they are quite, they're quite similar. All right, let's move on to the feature interview today. Uh, Kathy, what is it? Okay, yeah, so I spoke with an Ukrainian-American about uh, what his family in Ukraine, in Ukraine is going through right now, as well as his perspective on the Russia-Ukraine war. So this gentleman, he was born and raised in Ukraine until uh, the age of uh, 21. Then he came to the United States and has been living here for the past 12 years. So, uh, first of all, I just asked him to give us a self-introduction. Yes, my name is Volodymyr Yarmak. I was born and raised in Ukraine. Uh, I lived there until I was 21. Right now I'm 33. I moved to the United States when I was 21. And um, I live in Florida right now, in Hollywood. I still have a family right now in Ukraine. I have my brother, my sister, and my mom in the city of Chernihiv. It's a city hero. The mayor of that city, uh, he just received the medal of honor because they are protecting the city so well. So we have a strong city where I'm from there. They have great fighters, great, uh, yeah, just great, great people there. Yeah, so uh, as we now know, the Russian initially tried to take a quick wing and take over Kiev, but uh, that efforts all failed. Then they started to attack the cities and the civilians, um, including the city that Vladimir, uh, 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 who was came from. So he's gonna explain more about that in the interview. So uh, he explained that uh, there are mostly the attacks from the north, the, from the east, and the south. 
the borders, and with the most activities uh, in the south and the north, where you know his um, hometown, uh, which is called the city of Chernihiv, uh, which is north of Kiev. So, what what was the what's the situation there right now, and how is his family doing? Civilian people, they have to spend most of their time right now in the basement. And just so you understand, it's not the basement where, you know, you could sleep normally on. It's the floor is basically out of dirt, right? And there are concrete walls, you know, out of cobwebs. Uh, some of them didn't have power before, I'm sure. I, I know that because from my childhood, I kind of played in those. You know, I understand very clearly where they are. I'm sure they built um, more lights to have, you know, they kind of helped to have the power there, and I've seen lots of photos and videos. They somehow, you know, managed it to be somewhat reasonable to stay, but the reason I'm saying this is because, so people understand that these are not luxury places or any type of, you know, places where you want to stay even longer than a couple hours, but people must stay there for protection, right? So a lot of civilians are there. And uh, as Russians do attack, they attack the civilian buildings. They started to do a lot more airstrikes uh, since they don't have access, you know, to the actual cities, right? Because those cities, like I said, on the borders, they're holding up so strong. And as I mentioned before, our mayor, I know Chernihiv mayor, Atroshenko, he received the Medal of Honor for defending the city, for being able to hold the city without letting others capture it, you know, letting Russians capture it. And as they show the airstrikes, what we see now is basically they use the bombs even that are usually used during the war for destroying some heavy buildings, you know, military infrastructure, you know, built out of concrete. They use those bombs to take down civilian cities, you know, just regular buildings, right? So one of the rocket hits uh, hit my uh, basically, the house uh, that is three minutes away. Well, I call it a house, but it's you know it's apartment block. It's a nine-story building has a lot of apartments. Big people own those apartments, and the hit was so severe. I, I saw multiple videos from multiple angles. It, it is just horror. Like the, there's no words to describe it. But you, you see, you know, few apartments just gone. You know, windows in the area of about one kilometer. So about one mile, one to one kilometer shattered in all the houses around, you know, because the explosion was so strong, right? They, they just hit it with a rocket, just the building. About 40 people died. I saw videos how you, you see people laying around on the streets, missing parts of the body, all in blood, waiting for the ambulance, you know. Th these are just kind of to, to give you the, the picture, um, what, what's going on. I grew up on those streets. I know that house, that, you know, there's a pharmacy right nearby. I remember going there like, you know, a dozen times when I was young. I, I know that place. Uh, yeah, it's uh, literally three minutes walk. Your family members, yeah. are they my okay? My brother told me. So my brother, uh, when the explosion happened, he, well, I called the next day, you know, because uh, I didn't want to disturb him. And I knew they were fine. I knew they were in the shelter, you know, in the basement. But I called the next day, and my brother told me about the experience and how it happened. And he was, you know, in the building right next to our apartment building. He was visiting with his friend. And he said it was just, like, out of this world. You know, he heard the explosion, 
and but before that he said just death silence like as if everything stopped and then you just hear boom all the windows shattering it's unbelievable yes yeah, so my did family were in the area but luckily they were safe does your brother say did they kind of prepared or it's just out of any like just no warning nothing that's a very good question so um uh, the, the thing with when you know with these signals so before any airstrike right happens right now what they do they send out the siren and the siren goes throughout all the city right so people have about five to ten minutes at least well five i would say five tops to hide right to hide to the to the basement to the shelter the way how it works is people or on the border of belarus they spot these rockets right so there, there are two types of uh, of attack that could potentially happen that will trigger this type of siren right so the, how the how the siren is triggered they see ballistic missile being shot from belarus it will take about 10 five ten minutes to reach to chernigiv kiev so they send out a warning and they say immediately you know a warning they say um uh, turn on the siren right now people in chernigiv they have a couple minutes, you know, to go to the basement, hide. And this happened so many, so many, 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 many times. And, you know, there were no hit, no actual rocket, probably because it was taken down before. So a lot of people, this is just to answer your question, a lot of people, I think, expected nothing to happen. So I think they were taking it casually. And the reason why I say that, because about 40 people died. And I there were people in those apartment buildings, unfortunately. So they were prepared, but not all the way. However, I mentioned before, this was an airstrike. So this wasn't a ballistic right shot. So I, I'm sure they were warned um, with the airstrike. It's kind of similar when they see an airplane fly out of the border of Russia or, you know, where they see a military buildup. If they noticed, they send out the signal. They say, turn on the siren so people can hide, right? To be exactly, I haven't asked that question, but I'm sure there was a sign. I'm sure people were warned to, you know, to the best capacity um, that there's possible. So do you know if they have enough supply? That, that's a good question. That question makes me, you know, a little emotional because I'm, you know, every day I'm thinking the same way. Like I'm thinking like, do they have enough? Will they be able to survive? How, how is that playing? And you know, moms, they don't want you to worry right sometimes they just don't tell you everything so i have to find out from my friends like how what exactly is happening right so the situation is next and if i understand correctly it's different in every area of the city because there are blocks within the city which restrict people from you know uh, like traveling to like one of the sides of the city so if somebody ran out of groceries let's say right they could have a a problem there but the other side may not have a problem there are volunteers who travel and you can basically you know drop them money to their card they'll they'll deliver groceries to you you just give them a list you know whatever they have of course sometimes they may not have so what i've been doing i've been raising funds actually and um i ask all my friends on facebook i sent them personal message friends from united states i have a lot of friends from the united states and they send cash daily and we raised um some money and we dropped the, the money directly to the cards of my friends in Ukraine. I, I contact a lot of my friends in Ukraine. I asked them, how are you doing? Do you have enough cash? Do you have enough food? Do you have enough water? You know, what's your situation? And so 
currently Chernihiv is doing I would say semi okay they don't have you know meat in the stores but they have what they need and my mom told me like she doesn't want to eat she says you know because the the feeling psychologically that you have you just don't think of food which is I, I can kind of understand but it's really hard to grasp like that's not the thing that she worries about so I have to like insist and say mom like you you know you gotta understand like this may take months you know we may we may not be able to do anything for a year like but you have to have that you know the supplies and everything so Chernigov basically is not on the brink of humanitarian crisis it's, it's doing well but for how long nobody knows and i think ukrainian government may not want to say you know or give that kind of estimate publicly because we don't want you know people to panic there's already enough on their plate so in terms of uh, why Putin decided to invade, from your understanding, why did he do that? You know, th- th- there's a sort of a long pretext to that answer why he does that, and uh, I'll I'll make my I'll do my best to you know make it concise, and sweet, short and sweet. Basically, Putin always wanted to have. Um, th- this is the strategy of Russia, just so you understand. They come with the peacemakers into a country, and that's what they call. You know, they never call, they never name a war a war, right? They call it the operation, right? If you look at the history of Russian operations, they never had a war, but it was a war in, you know, Afghanistan. It was a war in Chechnya. It was a war, right? They, they come, they kill people, they take over the government, and then the government pays them amount of money out of the resources. That's the Russian strategy, right? That's Russia for you right there. So the why is failure of Putin to take over Ukraine. In 2013, uh, there was, um, you know, a very kind of a break it or make it point. There was a pro-Russian president, Yanukovych, who also, I believe, was put there by Putin. Um, I I just don't want to go too much back into history, but let's start from 2013-14. Um, there was a time for Yanukovych to sign an agreement for further integration into European Union. He did not sign. He went to Europe to a meeting, shook everybody's hand, smiled, and left. Um, people in Ukraine, they paid attention to that. And the students came out and protested. The strategy of Russia to do what? If somebody protests, you beat them up, you lock them up. So did is Yanukovych. And Yanukovych is basically a puppet of, of uh Russian president. This is common sense, by the way. This is common knowledge. I'm not just saying some, you know, everybody in Ukraine you ask, they'll they'll tell you. They'll tell you the same story. Um, after these students, you know, they were beaten up, locked up, arrested. Their moms came out to protest. But just think about it. Women, right? We're talking about women. And what's the strategy of Putin? What he usually does in this case? He beats them up, locks them up, they're gone. That's what Yanukovych did. So Yanukovych in Ukraine, in Kiev, did that right Maidan woke up hundreds of thousands of people came out to the cities and and protested in Kiev particularly was the most right that's where it started they protested and they said why are you not signing the agreement we want European integration but it was pro-Russian president so you see there is a conflict because he wants to take Ukraine through the same strategy so it will just pay a fine or a fee right for its existence as Putin thinks other countries do, should do, so uh, that there's a conflict. And so uh, Yanukovych is trying to push down Maidan. He's trying to, you know, to, to just get rid of it. 
so he sends a lot of militia to beat the people, right? There's a big fight, and he cannot conquer it because there's just too many people. So he gives an order to shoot people, and they kill about 100 people. Now they're called the Heavenly Hundred. They're heroes of Ukraine. There's a rumor, I don't know if this is confirmed, but there was a rumor that people, people in Maidan started to have a weapon as well. They gathered the weapon and they were going to take over the, the military. At that night, Yanukovych flees from Ukraine. And that's a pro-Russian president. He is not elected by the nation. He's not elected by the people. We could see that they don't want that, right? Then we have different election. By the way, and during that time, what happens? Putin brings his own soldiers to Crimea and to Donetsk and to Lukansk. That's when this conflict starts. Right? People without recognizing signs, they take over the government buildings and they proclaim them as self-republics. Putin brings his own people that are paid to protest and say, we want a republic. We are the people of Donetsk. But those are not people of Donetsk. Those are people from Russia. And so you have this very, very misleading evil, literally, pretending you know, that there is a freedom that people want that, that's not the case. That, that's how propaganda works. That's what Putin did. So since then, you, you, we have this conflict, right? And it's ongoing conflict, and we're trying to get it back. You know, those parts, Crimea, right? And so is Lugansk, and then yes, nothing happens, nothing works. We cannot get through because there's a military. Uh, we see that there's weapons from Russians come to those areas. And then, so many years later, seven years later, you see President Zelensky, who finally makes a decision to shut down Russian propaganda in Ukraine, to shut down Communist Party. Throughout the years, you know, they did it. But this year, last year, there's a billionaire, his last name is Medvedchuk, and he's a godfather of Putin. He's being arrested in Ukraine. And the channels, the, the, the TV channels that are pro-Russian are being shut down. The, the intelligence of Ukraine says in December 2021, there's $1 billion that Putin is uh, actually dedicating towards overthrow the government in Ukraine. And they tried to get other billionaires involved in it. Akhmetov, Renat Akhmetov, he's from Donetsk. So Zelensky gives a press conference, six hours, just talking to journalists, just answering their questions. I watched this whole interview. I never did that, but I watched the whole interview. I wanted to understand. And I see Putin got to a point, he kind of got tired of not winning. And so here you have the why. Here we have the, the why, because I think he's heard personally, I think Medvedchuk and other strategies didn't work, so he just has to use power. That was his goal initially throughout many, many years. He failed. He couldn't succeed. He just perceives basically what he's been doing before. So I, I hope that answers that question. I, I, I'm sorry it's so long and open, but I, I really want people to understand this is not just, you know, like he woke up, you know, just a month ago and said, oh, since we have, you know, military trainings there, let's, let's do and you know, an invasion. That, that's not how it worked. It was long planned ago, and yeah, this is um, just, he, he failed something, and he just took it to another level, basically. You mentioned uh, how Putin has always have you know trying to do this right or just to take over Ukraine. Do you think the Ukrainians have been prepared for this? Um, unfortunately, I think people were not prepared uh, because because all of this been going on for so many 
you know, days and so many months and the buildup of the military. I think people just, and that was probably the strategy of Putin to just not take him seriously, you know, as if he's just doing some sort of training. And then all of a sudden they invade. So unfortunately, I think people were not prepared. People all the world are just watching how you know, and whether the Ukrainian people will hold on. Now, what do yes. you think? Yeah. Well, we have um, tenacity. You know, I, I'm Ukrainian, and this is not. I never thought about myself as being tenacious, but I've tenacious. But I've heard other people telling me, "Oh, you have tenacity. You know, you're stubborn," and I never noticed that. But I. And I, I don't think, I think I got a little bit softer since I lived in the West for so long, you know, and maybe I'm not as tough as I probably would have been if I would be in Ukraine. But I could tell that Ukrainians are very strong people, very strong. And I believe fully that if there is somebody to stand up against Russian military, it is people that are like them, but kinder and with God. And these are people from Ukraine. Yes, I think that they have a lot of strength. I think they're tough. And so I think Russians, if they could, they should uh, put their armors to the floor and just go in. And, you know, Ukrainians, they are so, so kind even during this war. You know, they let them, you know, just they let them basically give in their weapons and they'll take them and they'll treat them well. Because they understand that Russian people, they don't really understand what even they're doing. You know, when when you see them being captured, and I've seen lots of footage of videos, and they basically ask these soldiers from Russia, "What are you doing here? Why are you here?" And they say, "We will just uh, we were at the training, you know, and then all of a sudden we got an order to come and cross the border, and they said we were threatened with tribunal if we don't, you know, so we just had no choice, so we did it." But we don't want to be here. So you you see at the motivation level, that is basically like, okay, should I even be here? <laughs> you see, and that that's why. So today is day thirteen, day fourteen, of war, and we're looking at twelve thousand Russian soldiers dead. You know that that is a lot of people, but it is not. I mean, you know, not uh, surprising to me because, yeah, the morale is very low. The, the motivation is low. What are they doing? They don't know. And then you have a nation that is united, that is, that, I mean, from the outside world, you know, we see a lot of support and they read a lot of news and people are so supportive and so loving. They say, Ukrainians, go, we stand with Ukraine. But when I talk to my friends, in, you know, in Chernigiv, to my mom, I do hear that they're, you know, it's, it's hard. It is tough. You know, they... Some of them, I, I can feel sometimes, you know, it's a bad day and they may lose hope. But, but they're still, they're strong, you know, like they will hold to the last. They will stay strong to the very, very last. It is their land. And yeah, so I, I think they'll be, they'll be fine. Yeah, so that's actually is the uh, first half of my interview uh, with uh, um yeah, his name is just not easy to uh, pronounce. Um, and uh, so he also shared with us um, about um, especially how he thinks about uh, actually the Chinese Communist Party's relationship with uh, Russia and also his uh, suggestion to Taiwanese, you know, to Taiwan, uh, the lessons that, uh, 
Taiwanese people could learn from Ukraine. So yeah, it's uh, it's just uh, I think it's very refreshing to just uh, hear from uh, Ukrainian uh, American who you know really grew born grew up in Ukraine and also currently have family family members still in this uh, war zone. So I will you know publish the rest of the interview. Uh, maybe in the next couple of days. So stay tuned and follow our channel. So, yeah, what do you think? Mm. Okay, it's a good interview. I think the, the, the guy is really a good uh, storyteller yeah, in a very natural way. Yeah, and he also really cares about, you know, news. And actually in the second half of the interview, he had some suggestions, advice to people, why you need to uh, care about the international news. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I saw a question from uh, Louis asking about uh, the spike of the uh, pandemic in Hong Kong. And in, he's asking any news. So, we are, do you, are you following that? Do you uh, have any input? Uh, the, the, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I missed that. Oh, Louis uh, just had a question oh, in the any, comments. Oh, any, any death, death toll in Hong Kong? Yeah, it seems it's spiking. Right, right. It's, it's spiking very hard. And it's very strange, you know. You know, we got this uh, Omicron here, which is a fact only the, in the body, uh, the throat and above. above. Yeah. It's actually like a heavy flu, that's it. But in Hong Kong, the death toll is very low in the, West, in, in the U.S. and uh, in the Europe. But in Hong Kong, surprisingly, that death toll is much higher than Omicron. So we don't know what's going on there. That, yeah. can, be, that can be Delta, that be, can be other variant, yeah, not I think, uh, Omicron. Mm -hmm. and the other thing that I, actually I just heard yesterday, Hong Kong people, they, they, were, they were panicking. Many of them just, 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 they just go back to, go to China, all right? Many Hong Kongers came from China. Mm -hmm. They just go to China because it's, it's sort of, it's not a completely controlled by the CCP yet. They have certain, how to say, mo mo mobility. They're able to move, go to the borders and uh, into China. Well, so, the Chinese government has always been touting that China is not the safest place. And uh, maybe that's, uh, but uh, what I, um, you know, I didn't particularly prepare, you know, to do a lot of research on this news. But uh, what I, from what I saw is that uh, the uh, Hong Kong chief executive, Carrie Lam, uh, has been actually being asked about what, you know, is the so-called zero uh, COVID mm -hmm. policy is still applicable because of the situation seems to be um, not really controlled. But she insisted that she won't give up on this policy. So basically, in Hong Kong, the although you know in the West, a lot of most of the cities and states are relaxing the uh, you know the COVID uh, policies, but in Hong Kong, they still just continue to use the isolation and containment as the main uh, ways of response. So they are actually like they are, you know, trying to use the hotels to just isolate people and even uh, have uh, uh, use a fleet of uh, exclusive cabs, about uh, th 300 cabs just to take the patients. Uh, okay, so there's, uh, you know, some people posting videos. Uh, let's take a look as saying that um, most of the elderlies in Hong Kong, they just are lying in the beds in the chilly weather mm -hmm. at an out, at like outdoor makeshift area. 
So in, in the you know outside of uh, the overwhelmed uh, mm. hospitals, yeah. So. Wow. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how that play play through. It's just um, yeah, it's a bad situation. And um, Hong Kong, there was a, such a you know civilized, well managed city. It's never went through things like this. Mm -hmm. But anyway, anyway, that's what Hong Kong yeah yeah went through. And uh, uh, yeah, just mm -hmm. on the hindsight, actually Hong Kong is really the most closest uh, place near the mainland China. Right. While in China, it's just uh, everything is so tightly controlled, mm -hmm. we don't really know the cases and the death toll, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. the death toll, you know, for the two years, it's only still keep like 46,000 some, right? right? Nobody really, you know, believe that. Mm -hmm. But Hong Kong, you know, for its, its uh, historical reasons, still have some kind of freedom, especially the information. Yeah. So maybe it's just uh, it's a tip of iceberg of what's happening in China, yep. right? Who knows? Yeah, okay, so that'll be all for today. And uh, so before we end, if we say, talk about, uh, how to say, one, one joke, okay? Okay, so you have a joke? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. So basically, a, a, Russian, a, a Russian worker was visiting a, okay, a, just a worker in, 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 in the Western world. Let's say UK, okay, went okay. to UK, and the, 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 the UK worker was introducing his home to him, and saying that this is my bedroom, this is my living room, and this is my daughter's room, this is our master bedroom, and so on and so forth. The Russian worker was nodding. Mine is similar. We just don't have the room divider. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I hope this is okay with you guys. I just found out in a quick way. Anyway, I saw enough Russian jokes, and uh, hopefully we can have more for you better prepare next time. All right, that will be all tonight, and thank you very much for staying with us. I think it's, it's a good interview, it's um, good information. This is, um, you know, close range, right? Understanding of the situation over there. Yeah, so I, I think uh, because of lacking of a lot of uh, media reports, like, you know, like a, a f in fact-finding reports, uh, one way is to really find the facts from people who have, you know, like families and uh, yeah. friends over in Ukraine. And so also, we do have a we do have a actually employee in um, in Ukraine in the, near Kiev, and he has to. He just told me today that he has to went into hiding. He's prepared for the worst. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Another note, side note is that uh, uh, the interviewee he actually has the mom, his mm. mom, his brother, and the sister uh, still there, right? Mm. So I asked him, is it true that uh, the government is asking all the men just you know cannot to stay to stay, and uh, the women and the kids, you and know, elderly, elderly can leave? He said that yes, generally yes, but uh, uh, the reason that uh, his family members uh, like his mom and the sister still stayed. still stayed because in the city, the bridges mm -hmm. are all destroyed. Wow. Yeah, because the Enough. city does not want the Russians to come over. I see. So they cannot uh, escape, right? Mm -hmm. And the brother actually uh, is currently is taking care of mm -hmm. his mom. And actually the sister is uh, helping to like uh, helping with cooking mm -hmm. for the Ukrainian, you know, military. Okay. Wow. Yeah, so, yeah. Gosh, it's a, nobody won the war, and this is what happened when war happened. Okay, we'll follow the story. We'll bring you more story, um, you know, every, every time of the reporting. And uh, thank you for staying with us.
All right. All right. So take care. Take care. Good night. Good night. Bye bye. Until Friday. <laughs>